So a man purchased a home one time. The home was an older home, um, but, but it was in the exact location that this guy really wanted to have. And, and because he was so excited about the location, because the housing market was booming, kind of like it is today, um, he, restra- he refrained from having a home inspection performed. He wanted to get a, get a leg up on the bid, and uh, he did get the house. And a little after moving in, though, he noticed his nose was running all the time. It would just never stop running. And, and he cleaned the house from top to bottom, no relief, cleaned the HVAC filters, still nothing. Even swept out the ductwork. I was like, okay. Then a few days later, he noticed some dark spots along the baseboards of his home that looked something like that. And uh, he knew that he was dealing with mold at that point. And so like any good man, he uh, gets some primer and paint and paints over it. Because if you can't see it anymore, it's not there, right? And so he paints over it. However, weeks later, he continued to have allergy issues and even got to the point where his breathing started getting affected. When he was at home, he would start wheezing and gasping for air at at certain times. After doing some further exploration, he saw some other spots along some other baseboards in the home. And he realized this problem was a lot bigger than that little problem that he maybe saw on the outside. So he brought in a professional and was like, well, let's see exactly how bad this is. After the thorough inspection by the professional, they noticed that there was mold in every single wall of the home. There was no wall that was untouched. The inspector actually suspected the home previously had some flood damage of some sort that was painted over and covered up in order to sell the home quickly. The inspector recommended that the entire home be completely torn down and built back up from the ground up because of the severity of the home. There was no salvaging this home in its current state. As we read our scripture for today, we're going to see that that's what God has to do to sinful man. He has to tear us down, destroy us, and build us back up. The old must go and the new must come. But we also see an eschatological or end times prophecy that this entire world is marred by the sin of the world, and it will have to be completely remade, destroyed, and rebuilt. So join me as we read these four power-packed verses as we end our journey through this book of Haggai, starting at verse 20. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders, and the horses and their riders shall go down every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful day that you've given us. Thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. Thank you for your kindness to us, Father God. Uh, We don't deserve your love and mercy and grace, but God, you still continue to pour it out upon us, Lord. We thank you for that. Lord God, be with us today and help us to make much of you. Uh, God, I know that we come with a lot of thoughts in our minds, a lot of things in our lives going on, a lot of things that, as Brother Jim already said, can distract us from hearing your word and taking it in. So God, I just pray that those distractions fall to the wayside and we're able to focus on your word, quiet our minds and our hearts, and help us to understand more about what you have to say to us today, Lord. We love you, praise you, and thank you. Amen. So if you see here, this is called a 
Um, go ahead, go over there. Uh, th th if you look here, we're, we're looking at a sifter of sorts. A uh, strainer would probably be the best term for this. If you look at a strainer, what it does is a lot of times people will use it for something like this, just dropping sugar. But we're going to see this word to shake throughout the scripture. God shakes the heavens and the earth. He's going to shake everything and He's going to and, and he's going to actually make it better. So a lot of times when we hear shake, we hear destroy. Uh, we, we think of destruction, but God's shaking doesn't just destroy. It gets rid of the chaff that falls down to the bottom, and it keeps the pure substance. You could imagine this almost being like wheat as it's thrown up, and the chaff blows away, and what's left is the pure substance of wheat. Well, God is going to shake the heavens and the earth to make them better. All of the bad, all of the evil will be cast into hell. All of, the, all of the pure things will be made holy by God. And, and so when we see this, it's not shaken in a des destroying type of way only. It's actually to shake them and put them back the way they should be. So let's see number one. So we're going to see two promises of God played out in these four verses. The first is God has promised to shake the nations. God has promised to shake the nations. Let's start with, with uh, verse 20 again. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. So this is the fifth time in this book that the word of the Lord has come through the prophet Haggai to, uh, to the people of Israel. But interestingly, if you're a member and if you're looking back, this is the exact same day that last week's word came that we just heard about. So it's the, it's the exact same day that we have two words, the Lord, come in the same day here. Uh, how amazing is that? We, we talked about last week how this was a day to remember, They remember this day of blessing. Well, now not only is it a day of blessing, but it is a day of promise to the people of Israel. And we're going to see not only what God is doing currently, but what he will do in the future, all in the same day. How amazing is that? One other thing to note is, before getting to the meat of this package, there's a curious absence in this date. If you look at three out of the five dates that we see here, the King Darius is mentioned in there. In this one, you don't. And in the same day, the earlier message, King Darius was mentioned. So, so why is that? And Th this, this message is one of eschatological proportions or end times and messianic purposes as well, as we'll see in a moment. So King Darius is far removed from the pages of history by the time Christ, of Christ's coming. He's very far removed uh, when you're looking at end times. Even today, we, we see King Darius. Most people don't know who he is or what authority he carried. Um, he is not the king of kings. Jesus Christ is the king of kings. So he is not relevant to this passage. He will not be present at that time. Moving on to verse 21, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth. So notice who's not present in that. Joshua the high priest, he's been in every single other one. The remnant of Israel has been mentioned in all of them as well. And now we just see Zerubbabel pointed out. And this initial greeting, I mean, it sounds cool, but then part of it it's kind of depressing, too. So he, it says, greeting to Zerubbabel, the governor, and as we've talked about before, this governor was really just nothing more than a figurehead. Uh, his grandfather was King Jehoiakim, so he would have been king over Israel at the time, and now he's governor. He's a governor of a province. Uh, just a figurehead over 50,000 people that are probably there. No real power. He doesn't really carry a lot of authority or anything like that. So it would have reminded them that things weren't the way they could have been. But yet God does address this man. And why does he address this man? We mentioned in Matthew 1, 12 through 13 before that Zerubbabel would be in the line of the king of David 
and go all the way down to the line of Christ. And so we just see this promise is, is picked out, Zerubbabel's picked out because Jesus Christ would come through this line. This message is not about Zerubbabel. This message is not even about Israel. This message is about Jesus Christ and what he would do when he came to earth and what he will do when he comes the second time as we move forward. So we are told that he's about to shake the heavens and the earth. He's about to shake the heavens and the earth. Let me go back there for a second. So, 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 so he's about to shake the heavens and the earth. Uh, this is a cosmic statement. It's, it's not just a localized statement. He's going to do a little bit here or a little bit there. This is a cosmic statement, a lot bigger than just one area. It's more than, also more than just a physical shaking. It's a complete shaking of all creation, spiritual and non-spiritual. And the Lord's use of this, this phrase, about to shake or will shake, uh, a lot of times we're like, okay, well, what does that really mean? He's about to shake or he will shake. Is he going to do it right now? What it means is it's imminent. It is it's a promise. It will happen. It's not, there's no, oh, it might happen, might not happen. It is a promise. It will happen. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen right now or even a few days later. It just means it is a promise that is sure. You can count on God to, to, to do what he says. Moving on to verse 22, we're going to get into four effects of what the shaking will in, entail. Uh, the first one, he will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. He will overthrow, so if you look at point number one here, he will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, namely Satan's throne. And you're like, well, where do you get Satan's throne out of this? Well, note the term throne there. Is there more than one throne today? There's a lot of thrones, right? Kingdoms are throughout. Nations are throughout. There are many kings and presidents and different leaders in our, in our uh, country, in our, or in our world, in each country. So why is it he's going to overthrow the throne namely Satan's throne here. Uh, it, it's because everyone is, un, like all these thrones are controlled by Satan. We know that God over controls everything. He is sovereign. He, he builds up. He tears down. But he has given Satan the throne of this earth. He is the little g God of this world. And so we look at our leaders and we're like, why are they so corrupt? Why do they do what is wrong? It's because they report to their king, who is Satan himself. And so we wonder why corrupt leaders like uh, Xi Jinping of China or Kim Jong-un of North Korea do what they do, that they rail against God. It's because they are nothing more than ungodly dictatorial leaders who are under the authority of Satan himself. Psalm 2, 1 through 3, or actually 1 through 6, uh, addresses men such as these. He says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. These wicked men rage and set themselves up against the Lord. If, if you look across, there are so many that set themselves up from the Lord. Very few leaders in our world ever point people to God. Uh, very few leaders ever say we need to make God glorified. They, instead, they seek to be liberated from the accountability to God. Uh, they seek to be God themselves and worship themselves and themselves alone. So what is God's response to these men and women who set themselves up against his authority? It says that he holds them in derision and laughs at them, meaning to ridicule 
them. He, these tiny men, what power do they have in the presence of Almighty God in the end? Uh, he, he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. There will be a time where there will be no evil any longer. He will shake everything up. Uh, evil will be cast into hell for all eternity. Satan and his demons, as well as all those who follow them, will be eternally separated from God. And the evil throne that is above every other throne on earth, that, that of Satan, the singular throne that we've been talking about, is listed in the book of Revelation as we see the letter to the church of Pergamum. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, Revelation 2.13. Hear that again. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Sometimes, do you feel like you dwell there? Where Satan's throne is. When we look along this world and we see the things that happen around us, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. My friends, the wicked rulers of this world are not authoritative in and of themselves. They don't come up with these ideas all on their own. They are inspired, not by the Holy Spirit, but by demonic spirits. When world leaders push agendas such as sexual deviance, such as homosexuality, transgenderism, or when they push child murder under the guise of pro-choice ideologies, when they push other false religions, when they push atheism, they're acting under the authority of their father, the devil. They're doing what they're told. But God promises one day he will shake the heavens and the earth. He will remove those ungodly leaders and cast them into the deepest, darkest parts of hell. That is a promise from God, and that we pray for those leaders. We pray that they get saved, but if not, if they continue to lead corruptly, they continue to follow their father, the devil, that will be what happens. So may we pray for our leaders. May we pray for those who use the word of God and twist it to encourage sin, to explain it away, those worldly leaders that try to push that upon other nations, that killing babies is just a choice, that God didn't really make them male and female, complementary to one another, but he made them whatever they wanted to be. That's what's getting pushed by our worldly leaders, and that is corruption, that is sin, and that is of Satan himself. Moving back to our scriptures, we know that they will be eternally judged. Moving forward, they, I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations. So number two, point two, he will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations. So God has done this time and time again. You look back at history, nations rise and nations fall. Good job. There we go. Uh, so, so we see at the time of Haggai, uh, Haggai's pr uh, prophecy, Persia was in power. They were the authority. They had just conquered Babylon not too long before uh, that what, what we're reading here. And they thought that they had control of everything, right? Well, they did at the time. But in 330 B.C., Alexander the Great would conquer the Persian Empire. It would no longer be the empire that it was before. And in the future, all of the great nations of the earth, including this great nation, the United States, will be shaken and destroyed. It will be put under the authority of Jesus Christ. The whole world will. Everything will be made right. We like to think that we are righteous as a nation, but we are not, my friends. May we pray hard for our nation. Our nation has been handed over to its corruption. And I just pray that we turn back to our founding fathers. I pray that we turn back to the Word of God, maybe more so. And uh, may, may we pray for that. 
Next we see, moving forward in verse 22, And overthrow the chariots and their riders, and the horses and their riders shall go down. Number three, overthrow the chariots and their riders. So this, this statement is one of remembrance for Israel. When you hear that word chariots and their riders, a lot of times it brings back the Red Sea crossing. As, as Pharaoh's army goes to try to catch Israel, as we talked about last week, what happened to the, the chariots and their riders? Their wheels got what? Clogged up. They couldn't go anywhere. Israel had just all went across the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army comes bolting after them, and they get stuck. He overthrows the chariots and their riders, and the waters crash down, as we see in Exodus 14. No earthly army can withstand the power of the Lord. And finally, we see one other way that God will shake everything. Everyone by the sword of his brother. Number four, he will destroy evil persons by the sword of his brother. What does this remind you of in the history of Israel, where, where brothers destroy brothers, nations destroy themselves? If the story of Gideon, the, the account of Gideon came to mind, that is what this alludes to. God reminds them of his previous work as he thinks about, or as he tells them about what he's going to do in the future. He talks about the account of Gideon. So the Lord called Gideon to lead the people of Israel against an evil group uh, known as the Midianites. Gideon and his people had been mistreated by Midian for, for years. They would come and steal their grain. They would come and steal their stuff. They treated them poorly over and over again. They would plunder them time and time again. But at last, God raised up Gideon to take the people of Israel to fight against the Midianites. If you look and you read the, the account in Judges 7 and 8, we, we actually see that God sent home every single man other than 300. So they have 300 men. And actually, if you really look, they had 32,000 to start with, and God just says, too many. Now, if they need to go, they need to go, they need to go. And just time and time again, you just see Gideon like, wow, what is going on here? Because Gideon knows that actually the Midianites had 135,000 soldiers. So even at 32,000, they were doomed to destruction. There was no physical human way they had any chance against this nation. But God, seeing that 32,000, says, that's too many. I don't need 32,000. I'll take care of business with 300. And in this remarkable display of nothing short of God's sovereignty and power, the outcome of this battle is shown here in verse 22. When they blew the 300 trumpets, because there are only 300 men, they all have a trumpet. They don't even have weapons. They have trumpets at this time. Weapons are laid down. The Lord set every man's sword. This is the men of Midian, the enemies of God, set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. They ended up killing each other. At the blast of the trumpet, one man turns upon another and puts him through with a sword, and God gives Israel victory. Uh, a very unlikely victory. 300 men to 135,000 men in Israel conquers them. How amazing is God? And, and note that all of this work that we've been discussing is done by God. Do, do you think, we, can we give Gideon and his men any, any credit for that victory? Absolutely not. They blew a trumpet. Like, that's all that they brought to the table. And that was just because God said, hey, do this. And God did this mighty work Everything is done by God. God will continue to do work. He will continue to protect His, and all glory and honor and praise is to Him alone, not to us, but to Him be the glory. And my friends, God will fulfill what He promises. 
Uh, this initial promise is an eschatological promise, meaning it has to do with end times, as we've stated before. Uh, God will wipe out all evil. He will overthrow all the kingdoms of the world, and he will set everything up in righteousness under Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I'm sure as we look around our world, when we look at China and North Korea, uh, when we look at just, frankly, even our own nation at times, we can get really downcast and discouraged. Uh, we can get really depressed and upset. This is not how it's supposed to be, Lord. It's, we're not supposed to be taking the life of innocent children. We're not supposed to be just looking another way while kids get sold into slavery. We should not be, this should not be happening in our world. But it's not going to be like that forever. You know, I, I can't tell you things are going to be better tomorrow. I can't tell you things are going to be better later today. But yet we need to continue to persevere because the rulers of this world are vastly corrupt. We should expect them to do what the Bible says they're going to do and follow, follow their father, the devil. Uh, many of these nations, the leaders of nations, fleece their people and living, live in luxury while the rest of their country starves. Tons of places in Africa especially. Many leaders also corruptly handle measures through unjust means such as assassinations, poisonings, and threats. Long gone are the days where you have leaders a lot of times that you can really respect and, and, understand and, and agree with. We are still to obey our leaders, obviously. But. And even going beyond that, as we've already discussed, a great many leaders continue to rail against the church. Some like Xi, President Xi uh, Jinping, he directly rails against the church by throwing pastors in prison and, and murdering pastors and leaders of the church. Same thing in North Korea. We see that throughout. Uh, and, and actually, there are more Christians dying today than in any history of the world. We think, oh, because we live in America and we're able to come here and worship, that things are great across the world, and that is not the case. Listen to Voice of the Martyrs and see what's going on in our world and in Muslim nations and, and in other nations, African nations, different places out there. Our, our brothers and sisters are being persecuted and killed left and right. I think, if I'm not mistaken, last year actually more Christians died than the history of, any, history of the world, the amount of Christians died last year. We are under attack in our world. The, the, the Lord is still sovereign, but in my opinion, I think it's getting closer to that time, to, to when he comes. And so I do pray that your heart is right, that you are ready for that great shaking, because if you're not in Christ, you will be shaken and you will be cast into hell, my friends. I don't say that as a try to get you scared to where you come to, to the saving knowledge of Christ, because it's the kindness of Christ that leads us to him. It's not the judgment of Christ that leads us to him. His kindness draws us to repentance. When we think about what he did on the cross, uh, when we think about his sacrifice on the cross for our sins, that is what should draw us to him. But I would be lying to say that that will not happen, that there is not a punishment for those who are, who are not in Christ. But as we look around and as we sometimes get downcast, we can be encouraged. We can be encouraged by the Word of God. When we look at this account, as we've went through here, we see that, that hope comes from reflection and remembrance. Hope comes from reflection and remembrance. And, and we must reflect on what God has done and remember what God has promised He will do. And that will help us to persevere, knowing that it's not hopeless. Things will be made right. We just need to keep serving the Lord. We need to keep loving Him, keep reading His Word, and being in prayer. As we await this final eschatological promise, Haggai reveals one other great promise in verse 23. 
He promises salvation to the nations. Not only does he promise to shake the nations, he promises salvation to the nations. Verse 23, On that day declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and he will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord. He starts off with this phrase, on that day, which points to the day of the Lord, a time of judgment on the ungodly and a time of blessing upon the righteous. Time would fail to go through that. It's mentioned 25 times in the book of Zechariah, eight times in Malachi, also in Hosea, Joel, Amos, and other elsewhere as well. But yet that final day, that eschatological promise, as we've mentioned, does not come without Jesus Christ coming first. Uh, that the, he, he also shook the heavens and the earth, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Uh, this, this coming promise of God, a final promise to, to make everything right, first there would be Jesus Christ. He would come through the line of David, through Zerubbabel, and he would come and shake the heavens and the earth, in both a literal way at his time of coming and a spiritual way. Uh, we see in Matthew 27, 51, uh, the uh, the literal fulfillment of this, Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. That was a literal shaking of the world. There was an earthquake, very literal. But it wasn't just literal, it was also spiritual. And if we look, it was spiritual in the fact that the keys of death and Hades were given to Christ. He carried that. When, he, when all the wrath of God was placed upon him instead of us, when we, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when we repent of our sins or turn from our sins, believe in him alone for salvation. Revelation 1.18 says this, And the living one I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Notice this, this, this important word. Go ahead and go back to that verse again. If we look here, And, and the living one I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Obviously, the keys of death and Hades, he has the power to forgive sins. He has the power to resurrect one to new life. He laid his life down, and he took it back up. He has the power over death and the grave. But listen to that phrase before that. I am alive forevermore. How long is forevermore? It's forever. It never, it's eternal. He is alive forever. And my question for you all is, do do you believe that? Do you truly believe that he is alive forevermore? Do you believe that he was crucified on the cross, that he rose from the dead, and he will live for all eternity, and at his name you may be saved? That there is salvation for your soul in his name. There's no more important decision that you have to make other than the decision to follow Jesus Christ. There is nothing else that everything else pales in comparison to that. Christ's first coming, we see that final shaking, or that, not that final shaking, but we see a definite shaking. The trajectory of lost souls was shaken for all eternity. Satan had his paws on the Gentiles, and Jesus says no. People like us who are not Jews were given salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Praise God for that. And as we get back to 23, there's one other thing I want us to look at. A signet ring. If you recall, Darius was not mentioned in this section, but we see a signet ring. If you go to the next slide, uh, we see a signet ring here. This is, was, was Darius's signet ring. On, that, on the left side there, the writing there actually says, I am Darius, the great king. He was also humble, right? I am the Christ, the, the great king. Uh, 
The, the picture shows King Darius is sitting in there. He is hunting wild lions as his false god above him watches over him. And this, when people saw this seal, they knew it meant business. It, it was from the king of Persia. You don't talk back to the king of Persia or you end up dead. So you, don't, you, you, you do whatever he says. Yet Darius, his signet has nothing upon God's signet. Uh, Darius' signet would eventually pass away and have no authority. You try to stamp something with that today, take it to the post office, take it to any government office, take it to any country in the world, and they'll be like, I don't care. His signet carries zero authority today. President Biden will carry zero authority in the future. Uh, President Z will carry zero authority in the future. Only God's signet lasts forever. Whatever he seals, it's sealed for good. And brothers and sisters, that means you, and that means me. He will seal you with his Holy Spirit. He will claim you as his own. He will choose you as he just chose Zerubbabel, as, as he chose King David. He will choose you and give you the Holy Spirit who will come and indwell you. He, he shows that promise through Zerubbabel by the actual temple being completed by around 515 to 516 B.C. That, that was his first initial confirmation that Jesus would be coming. Hey, I'll show you this. This is the first thing. Jesus is coming. And then I will show you when I shake the heavens and the earth that I mean business. And I pray that each person in this room has been sealed by God. And you may ask, well, what does that mean to be sealed by God? Well, 2 Corinthians 1.22 says this, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Uh, a seal is a guarantee. Just like King Darius would sign something, it was a guarantee that the full army of Persia stood behind that. The Lord of hosts, the Lord of angel armies, seals us with his Holy Spirit. When you are saved, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you repent of your sins, you turn from your ways, you turn toward his, he promises to make you new. He destroys the old, and he gives you a new heart. Yes, we still have the flesh. We will still battle sin, but your soul is remade. Your, your, your inner being is remade, and he gives you his Holy Spirit as that seal, that guarantee that salvation lasts. Those who are truly in Christ persevere. Those who are not, don't. So if you want to know who is sealed and who's not, who perseveres under trials. When you come to a complete saving knowledge of Christ, you're born again. The old is gone, and the new has come. Uh, baptism doesn't save you, but it is that it is an example, a symbol, symbolic example of you being saved. And what it says is you are buried with Christ. The old you is gone. No more are you bent on hell. Now you are heavenward in orientation. And you are buried, you are killed with Christ. Your body, it doesn't save you, but it's a sign that you were, that he destroyed the old you, and you are raised with Christ, just like he died on the cross for your sins, and he rose from the dead. He also does that for you in your life. And the only way you can be sealed, as John 14, 6 says, is through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. He is, Jesus Christ is the signet of God. There is no other way. You want to be sealed? Jesus Christ. He's the only way. He says, I am the way, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I don't think he could be any more clear than that. Anyone that tries to claim there's other ways to God, obviously don't believe Jesus you'd think Jesus is a liar, you're obviously not a Christian. So it is so, so clear in Scripture that Jesus is the only way of salvation because he is God. He was fully God, fully man, and he is fully God and fully man, and he will always be fully God and resurrected, glorified man. As we come to a close today, I pray that you have a clearer picture of the, 
the plans and promises of God. And I pray that you've examined your own heart to see, am I sealed? Am I born again? Have I been signed with the signet of Jesus Christ and been indwelled by the Holy Spirit? Have I been buried with Christ and risen with Christ? I pray that the answer is yes for you. And if it's not, I would love to talk to you about what that means. How to become sealed. It's not a complex thing. So simple, even a child can do it, but so hard that you have to die to yourself. You have to realize, I'm not good. There's nothing good in me. You have to agree with God. And Romans 3 says, no one is good. Not even one. All seek after their own ways. You have to agree with God that you're a sinner. You have to confess that he is Lord. You have to believe in him and follow him and repent of your sins. And he will make you new. He promises that. And I pray also that you have hope that one day God will make everything right. He will shake the heavens and the earth and he will destroy all evil for all time and he will reign victorious in his glorified kingdom. Until that day, persevere, my friends. Continue fighting the good fight and love and serve your Savior. Savior. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good, you are holy, and we thank you for your promises because they are reliable. We thank you for your promises because they are sure. And Lord God, if anyone here does not have your seal, the signet ring has not been placed upon their hearts. They have not been made new. I pray that they do that today, that they don't leave this place without the seal of your Holy Spirit filling them, that they, can ha- that they don't leave here today without a guarantee of eternal life because we don't know what tomorrow holds. But we do know who holds tomorrow, and that is you, and you will right all wrongs. Those who are not covered by the blood of Christ will be judged and thrown into hell. Those who are covered, who have their sins atoned for by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, on the cross for our sins. They will be said, they will be told, well done, good and faithful servant. Not because of what we have done, but because of what you did on our behalf. And we thank you for that, Lord Jesus. And I pray that if someone does not have that seal, that they come and talk to me after the service or talk to someone else here. Pray that they be saved. And God, help us to go throughout the rest of this week with hope, knowing that you will write everything. That when we see just the heinousness of sin throughout our world, that we can have hope knowing that it's not going to last forever. We look at even our own lives and we see things that have maybe happened to us that were unjust, that it is mine to avenge, I will repay, saith the Lord, that you will handle business, that we can trust you. We don't have to seek revenge. We can love our enemies. We can love our neighbors because we know that you will right everything. May we trust you in that. We love you, praise you, and thank you, and help us to glorify you and make much of you throughout this coming week. And amen.